Let me just start our new series with a bold statement, and I wrote it down for you. My wife actually wrote it down for you, uh, just so that we can all be on the same page. Conquer gluttony, conquer life. Conquer gluttony, conquer life. Now, that's a pretty bold statement to begin a series on gluttony with, but I think that, that by the time we're done today and by the time we're done over the next several weeks, that, that hopefully you will say, okay, I understand where he's coming from. And, and here's the deal. When you look back at the early church and, and the history of Christian theologians and, and their thoughts, gluttony was a major topic. And, and you read some of the early Christians, the guys that we still have their books and we still talk about them, what you find is that they oftentimes, over and over and over again, talk about gluttony, its evilness, and the other problems that it leads to. Let me just read you some of these things. Uh, One guy said, and this is just a common statement throughout the history of the Christian church, gluttony is the mother of lust. Thomas Akempis said, when the belly is full, debauchery knocks at the door. The Benedictine rules, which is a set of early monastery rules, uh, began with this. Nothing is so contrary to Christians as excess. As our Lord saith, see that your hearts be not overcharged with surfeiting. Surfeiting means cause someone to desire no more of something as a result of having consumed or done it to excess, in case you were wondering, because I was. Uh, and then, this one probably most telling, uh, John Cassian, an early Christian monk and theologian and writer, said this, We cannot enter the battle of the inner man unless we have been set free from the vice of gluttony. Conquer gluttony. And you can conquer life. But it's interesting, more interesting perhaps, that gluttony is listed among the seven deadly sins. You've heard of these seven deadly sins, right? And what you might be surprised to know is that the seven deadly sins are not something that is specifically listed in the Bible. There's nowhere in the whole book called the Bible that says, hey, these are the seven deadly sins. Instead, they come from a couple of lists of sins in the Bible, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, and Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Uh, But neither of these have the seven that you know as the seven deadly sins. Instead, uh, a guy later, an early Christian theologian uh, named Evagrius Ponticus and said, hey, here's seven things that I think are the deadly sins. And then Pope Gregory I, a couple hundred years later, said, I'm going to revise this and I'm going to make it an official thing for the Catholic Church. And so then we know the seven deadly sins is lust, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, pride, and gluttony. Now, it may not be right there in the Bible, but isn't it telling about how Early Christians and Christians really throughout the history of Christianity have seen the sin of gluttony. For them, it's a very big deal, so big that it's a sin that leads to death. But in our current culture, we don't talk often uh, about gluttony, right? We don't talk about it very much at all. And and we we must ask the question up front, well, if it was such a big deal in the history of Christianity uh, and we don't talk about it, should we be talking about it? And the first question would be, What does the Bible say about it? And I'll just be up front with you. The word gluttony, you go around looking for it in the Bible or glutton, you'll only find it seven times in the entire Bible. So you have to ask, well, why was it such a big deal to this, the history of Christianity if it's only there seven times? And we'll get to that in a second. But but here's the thing. In our current culture, we don't talk about gluttony ever, right? The only time that I ever used the word glutton or have heard the word used probably in the last... Ten years of my life is when somebody says, I'm a glutton 
for punishment, right? And that isn't talking about food or gluttony in a traditional sense at all. And instead, in our current culture, when you think about eating issues, the big word, the buzzword, the thing that we talk about, the epidemic in our country is obesity. Very good, yes. Obesity is what we talk about. And a lot of times, when we look at the word gluttony, we jump straight to obesity. But let me make something very clear for you this morning. Gluttony is not obesity. Gluttony can lead to obesity, but gluttony is not obesity. Let me just explain to you how obesity works. Basically, if you put more calories into your body than you take out of your body through physical activity, then you gain weight, and eventually you will be obese. That is plain and simply how it works. But gluttony as a sin is far different than that and and far uh, more spiritual in nature. Now, here's the other reason that I know gluttony isn't simply obesity because here's the deal and this is where this sermon series started to to begin the, the the foundation for it starts about a year ago in january and god really began to convict me of my gluttony now here, here's the deal nobody has ever conv- uh, convicted me or said hey you are obese i mean i'm not an obese person right but yet god has spoken quite clearly to me and said to me you need to work on your gluttony now, what's, what's really sad for me and is this. Usually when I preach a sermon or a sermon series to you guys, I try to get up here and I try to have worked through the things that I'm about to teach you. Uh, for example, we just did a heaven series. And, and before I got up here and I preached, I really tried to be impacted by the greatness of heaven and God's presence there and, and how much hope we have in the place called heaven before I got up and started telling you about it. When I preached the series on finding advice from above, getting God's guidance in your life, I I tried to be a person before I got up here that was actively seeking and trying to follow God's will for my life. But but here's my confession right up front, and it's an honest confession. I don't say it lightly. I am a glutton right now, and we will work through this series together. But what I need you to know, besides Chad is a glutton, is that I am not obese, and so we cannot equate obesity and gluttony. That's something that you need to know. And here's the other thing that you need to know. It's this, that gluttony is not simply overeating. I know already, as soon as the word gluttony came out of my mouth, you're like, oh, he's going to make me feel bad for Christmas and Thanksgiving, and I had a little bit too much food on New Year's Day, right, when I was watching football. And uh, and I know that's right to where your brain jumps. But I think as we go through the series, we'll find that gluttony is not simply overeating. Let me tell you how I know that. First of all, in the Bible, feasts are a big deal. And it's God who institutes the feasts. He says, I want you to all come together and I want you to eat a whole bunch of food. And what's even crazier is that God sometimes gets mad in the Bible because people aren't having the feast that he has said that they need to have. And so gluttony in and of itself is not simply overeating. You can go out and you can overeat today after we're done with church, and you might not be committing the sin of gluttony. Here's the other reason that that I think we know that that overeating is is not gluttony. They're not synonymous. It's this. 
Jesus in the New Testament is accused of being a glutton. And, and it happens because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners, as the Pharisees said. And this is what I think it tells us about Jesus. I think that Jesus every now and then enjoyed a nice big meal with some of his rich friends. It was probably good food, better food than most of the Jewish people would have had at the time. And so the Pharisees look at him and they say, hey, you're a glutton. But we know, hopefully we know, that Jesus was not a sinner in any way, and therefore Jesus could not have committed the sin of gluttony. Here's the other thing that really helps us to know that gluttony cannot be simply overeating. In Matthew 15, this is what we read. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. And his disciples seem baffled by this because they know all the Jewish dietary restrictions and they're thinking, how can he be saying this? I mean, what is he talking about? I know that when I eat something that has hooves or I, I eat something that I'm not supposed to, then that makes me a sinner. And here's what Jesus says in verse 17. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. But eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. So I think Jesus here says, look, what you eat, and I would say how much you eat, cannot defile you. It can't cause you to sin. But what is true is what some theologians said. Thomas Aquinas, for example, uh, referencing what Jesus said here, said gluttony isn't about what we eat, but about our attitude toward eating. And then Augustine said, I fear not the uncleanness of meat, but the uncleanness of desire. And so we look here and we see, I believe in Jesus, I believe in these early theologians, that gluttony is not about the things we put into our mouths. It is about the attitude we have towards eating and so here's the question i mean it's it's important and it will be kind of the basis for everything we do here i mean what is the attitude about eating that that we should call gluttony right and and there's a few words three words to be exact that, that are used for gluttony in the bible and the new testament words don't help us very much and in fact one of them points to one of the symptoms of gluttony, and that's the word gastor, appropriately uh, worded in my opinion, and, and it's simply a reference to a big belly. It can refer to a woman who is pregnant, or it can refer to a man who is all belly, uh, as, as they say it. And so, so one of the words used in the New Testament simply describes a symptom of gluttony. But when you look to the Old Testament, and you look at the word gluttony there, and gluttony is spoken against much harsher in the Old Testament, then you find a word that begins to show us the attitude that is the sin of gluttony. In the Old Testament, the word that is used as a Hebrew word is the law. And this word comes from a root word that means to be shaken. And so the idea that the, the root word would have been from is when wind comes through and the branches are all shaken, or when there's an earthquake and the ground is shaken. And, and so... The Hebrew people took that root word and they started to apply it to everyday language. And what it became uh, known to mean is simply to make light of. As in the branch that's being made light by the wind or the ground that's being made light by the earthquake. 
And so in everyday language, this would have simply meant to make light of something, something that we say, right? Don't make light of that situation. It's a big deal. And so that's the word that gets translated gluttony in the Old Testament. So the people would use that word if they dishonored or disrespected somebody, for example. If you looked at somebody and said, I don't think very highly of them. I don't think that that person is worth very much. Then you would be making light of them. You would be committing zalal against them. But the other way that it's used in the Old Testament is towards food. And that is where we get the word gluttony. And so here, here it is. This is the attitude of gluttony. Here's what I believe gluttony is. And this is not the English definition of gluttony. You can go look it up and it will say that you are a person who eats too much. I mean, that's plain and simple. But here's what I think a biblical concept of gluttony is and what we will be using moving forward. And it's this. To make light of the food that we eat. Or in other words, to not take seriously the food that we eat. Now this is good news, right? You're thinking, if you're like me, I take very seriously the food I eat. I don't have a glutton problem. You should see me get into a Mexican restaurant. The way I attack the chips and salsa, it's a very serious deal. I mean, I'm getting the salsa by me so nobody else can get in there. And I got the chips and and I'm ordering a second one because I know it's coming. And you should see the way that I approach ice cream. I mean... I, I'm serious. I could be an ice cream tester for a living. If, if, if I ever get fired at this church, I'm going to go out and I'm going to seek a career in ice cream testing because I'm, I'm very serious about it. I get it in there and, you know, it's like, it's like wine testing for some people, ice cream testing for me. And, and so you're thinking, oh, that's a great definition of gluttony because there's no way that I would ever not take food seriously. But I need to add one thing to the definition that's going to make you take a step back and go, oh, I hate this sermon series already. And here it is. Ready? I think that what gluttony is, given the context of the Bible and the commands that God makes using the words of in the Old Testament is this, not taking food seriously in regards to your relationship with God. That's worse. Not taking food seriously in regards to to your relationship with God. And so here, here, let me just ask you one question. If you can't answer it correctly, then you probably have a little bit, at least, of a gluttony problem. And here it is. When is the last time that when you ate food, you considered God before you decided what to eat? If you can't think of it, then this sermon series is for you. Because the truth is, don't we go like this? Don't we think something like, hey, I want something that tastes good. Or I want something that's easy to make tonight. Or I want something that's cheap. Or I want something sometimes that will make me healthier, at least in the month of January. And and, and these are the types of things we think about. What, What the Bible seems to be saying about gluttony is this. Gluttony is not taking seriously the things we eat in regard to our relationship with God. Now we'll talk more about what that means. We'll talk about what it means on a corporate level, about how there's people starving. We need to consider God. And, and we'll talk about what that might mean as far as our, our daily choices of food. But, but here's, here's the, the kind of the big picture and what you need to kind of have in your head. This isn't going to be a sermon series where I try to convince you that there's some diet in the Bible that is the perfect diet. I'm not going to try to convince you that there's a certain amount of calories 
that that will that will make you a glutton if you eat too many. I'm not. Uh, this is not about coming to some kind of consensus about the food choices that you make. But my goal, my hope in this sermon series is that you will become a person that, that says, "Hey, when I eat, when I do anything, I do it because of my relationship with God." I mean, here's the thing. If you conquer gluttony, you conquer life. And I think the biggest reason is because if you can learn to make decisions about food based on your relationship with God, then you can begin to make decisions about other things based on your relationship with God. And your life will become more and more like you want it to be. Now, here's the thing. One word is probably not good enough to convince you that this is the proper view of gluttony. And so today, if you would, I'd like you to open up to Philippians chapter 3, and we'll look at verses 12 through 21. And I think that what Paul does is he demonstrates the same definition of gluttony. He doesn't use the word glutton, but I think he shows us what is at the very heart of a life that does not consider God when it eats. And so, uh, if you open there, uh, let me give you a little background information. The book of Philippians is a letter written from Paul, uh, the apostle that's in the Bible, to a, a church in Philippi. And he's writing this letter from a prison. And he, he's very, sad's not the word, but he's upset with, with his situation in life because he's locked up in this prison and he can no longer minister in the ways that he wants to. He's been beaten. He's been persecuted. He has been treated absolutely horrible by the people around him. And yet he's writing this book to this church and he's talking about their progress and joy in the faith. And so the letter is written to this group in in Philippi that they may become more like God wants them to become. And so Paul even says, hey, you know what? I'd rather just die and be with Christ, but I know that I need to continue on in this body for your sake so that I can minister to you. And check out here in verse 7. I'll start there and we'll pick up in verse 12. But, but listen to verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And now with the progress and joy in mind, in verse 12, talking to the Philippians, and I want you to move forward in your relationship with God. I want you to be all that God has intended you to be. Listen to these words. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now here's the thing. Paul is saying, look, I'm striving to live a life that reflects my belief in the gospel. If you don't know, Paul was, Paul was a man who persecuted Christians. He hated Christians. And then one day God said, hey, you're persecuting me and I want you to become my follower. And from that day on, Paul just said, look, I'm sold out to this gospel thing because I understand the truth of it. Paul understood this. I was a wretched sinner that did wretched things that hurt the church of Jesus. And yet through his cross, through him dying, I was able to be reconciled to God because he died so that I could be forgiven for the wrongdoings in my life. And so Paul is passionate about this. And and when you read this, he's saying, look, I am striving 
to live out that belief. I understand that God sent his son to die for me, and so I'm trying to live a life that reflects that, a life that remembers that someday I get heaven because Jesus suffered hell on the cross. And then we pick up verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This connects with our our sermon from last week. And if you weren't here, brief synopsis, I said this, that all of us will follow an example in our lives. We will follow the example of another person. That's what we do. And and Jesus is is our ultimate example, but, but the truth is we need to work at being examples, good examples for other people because somebody is following us. And Paul says this, hey, I understand that I'm an example for you and I'm striving to live for Jesus. And so, hey, I want you to live like me because I'm trying to live like him. And he says, hey, if there's somebody else that you know that's also striving to live for Jesus, then I want you to strive to live like them. And, and so Paul looks at these people and he says, Here, here's what it's all about. It's about following the example of a godly person so that you can become more and more the person that God has called you to be. And then in verse 18 he says, For as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now here's the thing. We don't know why Paul is in tears, why he brings up his tears here. But I think there's only really two good options. One is that Paul is in tears when he thinks about the enemies of Christ because they are his enemies. And when you look at the story that I just described about Paul preaching the gospel and getting beat and and getting arrested and being hurt over and over and over again, I think Paul looks at these enemies and he thinks about them and thinks, if they weren't the enemies of Jesus, then they would just treat me better. I wouldn't be suffering in the ways that I'm suffering. I wouldn't be in this jail cell right now. So I think part of Paul in these tears is, is he's thinking, man, these enemies of Christ are my enemies too. And it's just totally changed my life and it makes life difficult for me. But here's the other thing that I think, and if you read about Paul and you, you, you study his life, I think this has to be involved. I think Paul looks at the enemies of Christ and he recognizes that those people are destined for destruction in hell. He recognizes that they will not get into heaven and that they don't have the hope that he has in Jesus. And so he thinks about them. And when he thinks about them, he is drawn to tears because he wants them more than anything else to know the love that God has for them and how God poured out that love in Jesus. But either way, no matter what the reason is for Paul's tears, this is deeply personal to Paul. He's looking at these people and he's not saying, hey, there's guys that don't like Jesus, whatever. He's looking at these people and he's saying, they're enemies of my Lord and Savior, Jesus. And here's how he describes them. Pay very close attention to this. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. He describes enemies of Jesus in three ways. One, their destiny is their destruction. Like I just mentioned, someday people will be destroyed that are apart from Christ and they will spend eternity in hell. That's just the simple truth of it. I'm sorry that so many people out there want to sugarcoat that, but that is the simple truth of it. And Paul recognizes that about enemies of Jesus. And then he says, and this is what connects with our passage or our topic today, their God 
is their stomach. He says, these people who are enemies of Jesus, they only live for one thing. And that is to fulfill the cravings of their stomach. And I think Paul would add, if he wasn't being metaphorical, the cravings of their physical nature. He says, the people who are enemies of Jesus have no spiritual life, but instead they simply live to fulfill the longings of their body. Paul says, look, If you want to talk about the enemies of Jesus, just look at the life that they live. And the only reason they have to live is to make themselves feel better. And here's what it says about gluttony for me. Especially because the uh, the word Paul uses here, their stomach. He's saying, look, if you're not considering God when you make decisions about food or anything else, then you are worshiping something else. You are committing Idolatry. And here, here's what's at the very heart of gluttony. If you are not taking seriously the food choices that you make based on your relationship with God, then in some way you are worshiping yourself and the food that you eat. I believe that the reason that the early church and the history of the church has made such a big deal about gluttony is because they recognize that if we are not taking seriously the food we eat based on our relationship with God, then we are in some way worshiping us. So here's what you need to know about gluttony today and based on what Paul is saying here. Paul is looking and he's saying, look, if you don't take seriously food, your relationship to God, then you're acting in some ways like an enemy of Jesus. That's humbling for me. I'll just be honest with you because I, I am a glutton, like I said, and, and I'm preaching to myself as much as I'm preaching to you today. And the truth is, somewhere in me, too much in me, is a worship of self. And I see it maybe most clearly in the way that I approach my decisions about food. Saying, look, I'll eat based on what makes me feel good, what sounds like it will taste good, whatever fulfills the carnal nature, my physical body, whatever makes that feel good, that's how I'll decide what to eat. I believe the Old Testament and the New Testament and Paul, they're just saying to us, you want to live like a Christian and not an enemy of Jesus, then you base your food decisions on your relationship to God and you make all decisions based on your relationship to God. And he ends it with this, and I think it's just so true. He says their glory is in their shame. And you think about a person who is apart from Christ, somebody who doesn't know Jesus, somebody who doesn't know God, maybe it's you. And here's the thing. The thing you glory in is the thing that will eventually shame you because here here it is. If you're living life apart from God and you don't have a relationship with him, then, then what you're doing is you're only living to satisfy your body. Right, And so it's all about the food that you eat, how good it is, how healthy it makes you feel. Or it's all about the possessions that, that you're able to have in your life. And it's all about your good looks. And, and here's the thing, whether God or whether people, it is your shame because those things tell the story of your life. And the story it tells is that you are not a follower of God, but you are a slave to yourself and the sinfulness inside of you. He says, look, the great food and the great cars and the great looks and all of the things that that people apart from Christ, enemies of Jesus, have their glory in, the things that they think make them look good, that make them cool, that make them popular, that make them well-liked, all those things tell the story. 
And the story is those people don't know Jesus and they're not going to end up in eternity in heaven. That's the truth of it. And when we are people that don't take seriously the food we eat, then we're living just like them. Now here it is. He follows this up and he says their mind is set on earthly things because that's all they know. That's all they can. And And this is what it says about Christians. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. People who don't know God, they live for the things of this earth, the great food that they can eat and the great stuff that they can get. But as Christians, we should be living in light of the fact that someday Jesus will return and take us to be in heaven. And our food is a part of that. Because when we don't take seriously the food we eat, we are living as somebody who is only caught up in the things of the world. Now, we'll get into more specifics about this in the three weeks after this in this sermon series. But let me, let me just, before I get to, to kind of the main point and what I want you to take away from this, let me just give you a couple of examples from my life that God started to say to me a year ago, and I've just been disobedient since. Really, really what God spoke to me, and, and I can't point to a scripture that says this, but, but just me. Uh, God said, look, Chad, giving you two reasons to eat. You can eat to celebrate what I have done in your life. Or you can eat to have the energy and health to serve me better. But the truth is, I've ignored that. I know that God's saying that to me. I know that that is what God wants from me. But yet I've said, you know what, God? I'm going to make decisions about what I eat based on what makes me feel good. And all I'm doing is acting as an enemy of Jesus that doesn't look forward to the hope of heaven that lives only for earthly, carnal things. And here's what I, I just want from you today, this week, based on this. Just recognize that gluttony is a big deal. Because gluttony, the core of it is an idolatry of self. And begin to take food seriously in right of your relationship with God. But, but here specifically, some of you that are listening, you don't have a real relationship with God. And the thing for you is, you can't conquer gluttony. You can't do it. And you will always be conquered by food. It doesn't mean you'll eat too much. You might be a very healthy person, but you'll always be striving just to be healthy so that you can be healthy. And if you can't conquer gluttony, then your life will never be what you want it to be. And so if you don't know Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, you need a relationship with him. And the truth is, you need a relationship with him because it will get you into heaven someday. But let me give you another reason. You are a slave to your food and all the things of this world, only living for the earthly life that you have right now if you don't have a connection to Jesus by accepting the gift that he offered on the cross and so if heaven isn't that great for you and you only picture uh, flying on clouds and you're thinking i don't want that no big deal well here's another one become a christian so that you can live for something besides fulfilling the carnal nature that is within you become a christian so that you can conquer gluttony and all of the idolatry that lies at the heart of gluttony now here's the other thing and, and this is for me Hopefully it will be for you too. Maybe it will be for you too, I should say. I think a second thing that we need to do based on what I have just presented to you is this. If we are not considering God when we make our food decisions, then then I think 
hopefully you're not going, this is crazy, but, but this is what I think. I think that we need to examine our lives and ask ourselves, am I really sold out to God? I mean, am I, am I really all about God? And I know just about everybody here who calls himself a Christian would say, yeah, I'm trying to live my whole entire life for God, and, and, and you know, I'm doing my best and all that. But, but just ask yourself, am I really? Because in this area, food, I haven't considered God ever. And if you haven't considered God in this area, then I, I'm going out on a limb and saying there's probably a lot of other areas that you have not considered your relationship with God. That might not be the case for all of you. Some of you, uh, a third group maybe in this room, maybe you would say this. You know, I just never knew. I mean, I never knew that I should consider gluttony. I never knew that taking food seriously was a big deal to God and that it was in the Bible. And I didn't even know that that was something I needed to do. And, I, you know, I, I feel like an idiot. And now I, I'm just, I hate you for telling me this. And, uh, and maybe that's, that's some of you, right? And, and here, here's, the, here's what I want from you. I want you to begin to take seriously the food you eat based on your relationship with God. And every week during this series, what we're going to do is we're going to have a specific food-related task for you to take home and for you to try to accomplish. And, and here, here's what I want for you to do this week. I want you, at at least one meal, you can do as many meals as you want or times that you eat, I want you to pray before your meal. And you're going to say, oh, I do that. Yes, got it. But here's, here's what I want you to do. This is a little bit tougher. When you pray, I want you to talk to God about why you're eating that meal or those meals with him in mind. Let me just give you a few examples that, that I jotted down. Uh, you could say something like this, God, I'm eating this because I need nutrition to serve you tomorrow. You might say, God, I'm eating this because I'm here with other Christians and we want to celebrate your work in our lives. You might say, God, I'm eating this meal with these people because they aren't Christians and I want to build a relationship with them so that I can tell them about the powerful work you have done in my life. I'm not trying to tell you that, that food is bad. It's not. I'm not trying to tell you that, that overeating is bad even. What I'm trying to tell you is that if we are serious about our relationships with God, if we want to serve Him and honor Him in everything, then I believe food must be a part of that. And, and if you believe the earliest Christian theologians... Food was foundational to that because what they believed is if you could learn and train yourself to serve God in something as normal as eating, something we do every single day, then that is going to transfer into other areas of life too. And that's something we'll talk about next week. And so, so what I'm asking for you, one, give your life to Jesus. Two, examine your relationship to God and ask yourself how seriously you're really taking it. And three, say, God, this week, at least one time, I'm going to sit with you before I eat and I'm going to talk to you about why I'm choosing to eat the meal in, in regards to my relationship with you. Will you pray? Lord, I don't want to speak for everybody, God, but I think most of us in this room, based on the definition I just gave, are, are gluttons. Lord, I think probably a lot of people in this room don't have never thought about it, God. And, and I, know, I know a high portion of people in this room, God, and uh, they love you. They're serious about you, and I think you know that about me, God. But yet, in this area, because of the society we live in, or maybe because of 
uh, just poor teaching or maybe because people have shied away from this topic because it, it's a sin that so many struggle with. I don't know, Lord, but just in, in it, it seems that such a high percentage of us, Lord, don't consider you at all when we eat, Lord. Lord, I, I pray that, that that would change and, uh, and God, that, that Lord, we would, we would give our entire lives to you. Lord, and, and you know me, and Lord, I try to live for you, but, but there's, just, there's just certain areas, God, where, where I compartmentalize you, Lord, and, and, and food is one of those. God, because I know, I mean, I, I put those two truffles in my mouth yesterday, Lord, and, I, and it was absolutely disobedience to you, Lord. And, and I pray, God, that, that I wouldn't take it lightly. And, Lord, I pray for people that are here today that they wouldn't take it lightly, God. And it's so easy just to say, well, it's not that big a deal. But, Lord, when we're serving ourselves and not you, it's bad. And we know that, God. And, and so I pray, God, for, for Christians in this room. And, and I pray that, that you would just, just change our hearts about the topic of food. Not simply so that we eat different, God, but but so that we will learn to love you more and honor you more in every aspect of our lives, God. Pray for people who don't know you, who are here, God, and they're listening to this and they're thinking, this is this is crazy. I mean, why would I think about God when I eat? I don't even know if I believe in God. And I just pray that, that Lord, you would touch their hearts. You would help them to see, God, that, that Lord, they can't conquer gluttony and life can't be conquered. In the way that, that, that even they desire, God, but, but more the way that you desire for us. And I pray that they would just be drawn to give their lives to you. God, we will, as we go through this series, Lord, talking about food, I pray that people will come back. <laughs> and, and God, I, I pray, Lord, that we don't run away from this topic, but we really genuinely examine what you have to say. And I pray, God, that we would become more faithful and how we eat, and I pray, God, that we would be better stewards of your planet, and, and Lord, we would learn to share and meet needs of other people, God, and I, I pray that we'd be healthier so that we could serve you more, and, and I pray, God, and you know I believe this, God, maybe more than I've believed, and it's weird, God, but in a sermon in a long time, that just that, that, that you would just change lives, God. I think it's so easy for people like me who are Christians to say, yeah, I do a pretty good job. I, I don't do most of the stuff that I see people who don't know Jesus do, whatever. But but it's hard, God, sometimes to take steps forward in our relationship with you, and we get stuck, and we think, why? And I think right now, God, is uh, for the Christians in this room, again, God, that, that we can just examine food and make changes because we love you. And, and I think, God, that it will change our lives, and I pray, God, that you will do that because it's only going to happen by your power and by your spirit, Lord. I love you, Jesus. I pray, God, that, that we would eat, God, taking seriously our relationship with you, and I pray these things because you gave your life for us. Amen.